Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Jose Gallison. Jose is the host of No Way Jose, the Liberty-themed podcast. Jose is, of course, a, a, a very well-known uh, personality within the Liberty circles that I'm so fascinated by. And I really appreciate Jose joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We're going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, where I am now joined by Jose Gallison of the No Way Jose podcast. Jose is within the world of, I guess you could say, liberty podcasting, that type of a world. Um, Jose is a prominent, someone that everybody kind of knows. You're on other people's shows. They come on to your show, things like that. Jose, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I've known of you for a while. I figured eventually one of us would cross over in one way, shape, or form, and here we are. So. I love it. Um, being this is the first time I've been able to chat with you, if it's all right, Jose, could you introduce yourself um, to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? Who are you? What I know everybody's political story and your like political evolution and that type of stuff is always very fascinating. So we could probably spend a lot of time even just on that. But who are you? What brought you to this point politically? And also what prompted you to get into the world of interviewing people and being involved in this type of a, uh, a world? Uh, well, I'm Jose Galison. Uh, we were talking before. It's a made up name. I've been very open about it. Uh, I like to pretend. I joke around. People call me a fake uh, Hispanic. I don't care. If, if anything, it actually initially started. It was a. Uh, it was my. I was on Facebook. And I would always be in thirty days, and like, and I also got tired of arguing with family about political and stuff and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm just gonna make an alt, and then that way I can just have like a 
thing where I can interact with like-minded people and kind of have like a, as opposed to like friends and family being like, Oh my God, I think you're off your rocker. Uh, and, and part of it was, cause I guess it was a little bit of like a, the rise of the woke culture at the time. And I just thought it was funny to kind of like take on the minority name. Cause it's like, like it's this weird, like, I, I, I feel like it gives you like a shred of protection. It's just kind of funny. So you can kind of play that card up if you want to. I, I joke around and say I'm Ar- Argentinian, obviously making a joke to the conspiracy that Hitler, uh, Hitler's, uh, cause I don't look Hispanic at all that, that, uh, Hitler, uh, you know, ended up in Argentina. So I always joke that my grandpa spoke German, but, uh, I mean, that's just a silly joke that we have ongoing on, uh, on my other show, uh, tower power hour was like a group podcast we do. Uh, which is more like a kind of like a shit posting uh, in real life type thing. We're just goofing off. It's more like a legion of skanks meets part of the problem, but a way subpar version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the, just, appreciate the transparency there. <laughs> yeah, it's just mostly guys goofing off that one. I mean, a couple other guys in there people are probably familiar with is uh, uh, there's six of us that we kind of rotating crew of guys who show up, uh, and then we would get guests occasionally in that one, but uh. Uh, Reed Coverdale and Clint uh, Russell are on there as well. Uh, Liberty Lockdown and Naturalist Capitalist. And then Top Lobster, the, uh, you know, a lot of people know him for being a big artist. He, he's also one of us. Uh, but yeah, um, what brought me here uh, politically? I, I don't know. It's, I guess I started out kind of just generic conservative as a kid. Uh, but no, no, it wasn't like I put a whole lot of thought into it. I, I said sometimes I like was neocon in a sense, but not really. It wasn't something I thought deeply about. It was just kind of like generic what was on Fox News. This is kind of like what I sort of kind of believed. But I mean, I didn't really put it. It wasn't really a major point. And then uh, I, I think the biggest thing is that when I, you know, kind of the real world and had a real job, uh, I kind of had to end up having to commute. And so I started getting into like podcasting and, and listening to stuff. It's just like you get tired of listening to music. And so kind of went down this start with a kind of Crowder Shapiro kind of went down that route, ended up with like Ruben. And I think I kind of got to like Rogan and then eventually found Dave Smith. Uh, and you know, I kind of just went down that pathway. And then, uh, I, I don't know, probably like a year or two after listening to Dave Smith, uh, I kind of made the jump from like minarchist to anarchist. Cause he convinced me to read anatomy of state, that little booklet, uh, which is a great, uh, great little booklet. Um, which I actually, you know, which is kind of surreal, uh, probably one of the, my favorite moments of podcasting is I got to uh, literally break down an Amia State with Dave Smith. I had an episode where I did that for, it was my watch, most watched episode. But I mean, that was a, I mean, most watched or not, even if I'd only got 10 views, it would have been a, it was just more surreal that the person who you know, kind of brought me to that spot, we literally covered the work that brought me there. So that was uh, cool. Um yeah, that's kind of, I guess, my political journey in that sense. Uh, I mean, I guess we can even go more down the rabbit hole. I kind of went, I, I would be, you know, if you want to get more, I don't know. It seems, I, I guess I, I watched a couple of shows to kind of get a vibe for the audience. So I don't know how deep down the libertarian wormhole they typically go. So, I mean, I'm, if we're going to go super specific labels, you know, I'm a libertarian. If you want to even bring that down further, I'm an ANCAP. And if you want to bring that down even further, I'm a, an agorist, it would be like kind of if I'm going to apply labels. And when it comes to labels, I'm not like religiously attached to any of these, but I will, uh, you know, like that's generally the best way to describe my rough set of beliefs. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think, is there anything else? Uh, I guess that's kind of where I am now. I, I, I mean, if anyone's familiar with the term egoist, I'm very familiar or very friendly with that. I consider myself an egoist in a sense. Um, you know, although it's not something I like stress too much. Uh, it's more just like, I feel like that's a lot of a semantics thing when you get into the realm of egoists. Uh, but so far as like podcasting, uh, when I first started, I first started podcasting, um, 
I guess around the pandemic, uh, I was active duty military for 11 years and I was still active duty at the time. And I, uh, so I had a lot of time off during the pandemic. I had a lot, nothing to do. And it still freaked me out because I was an anarchist at the time. So, and, and I you know, had a good grip of Austrian economics and all this stuff going on. So like in a certain sense, I was like, well, cool. I don't have to work. But in another sense, I was like, yeah, but, uh, I know that, uh, if the entire nation, uh, you know, reduces production level to an abysmal level for a period of time, yeah, you may not feel the stress immediately, but it's not going to work out. So, like, me, I, in my head, I was, like, chicken little, like, oh, shit. So, I was like, I, I don't know. I was just trying to scramble to do anything. It, it, the podcasting was actually born out of a venture that me and a few other guys started on Facebook. Um, this was, like, pre when they were really starting to get crazy with the internet crackdown. We started this thing called The Liberty Movement, which is a group on Facebook. Uh, it still exists, but it doesn't really have the same effect it does before because I just feel like a lot of the uh, restrictions Facebook put, was trying to put on itself is causing problems. But we made, we made some minor strides, and I, I think something beneficial was born out of it to some extent. Um, and we, the whole idea was that we were trying to create, like, a hub, uh, and then from there, we, like, we had different chapters. Like, we had, we must have had, like, 15, maybe, like, 10 to 20 different state chapters of it that we created. And the idea was we were trying to, like, create this, like, main hub and then have, like, little, like, the idea was to kind of create, take the online and make it to the real world type thing. Cause then we were like, very like, Oh shit, this is probably not going to go good. So it'd be good to start linking up and meeting with people and, you know, kind of a, and even if it is only online, like even if it is like the main page, like the, the main Liberty movement one, not the one broken up by state chapters, we still thought there's the benefits to being able to link up with like-minded people. Uh, and uh, I mean, it kind of just like, I wasn't able to manage anymore once, you know, once work got started going again, uh, and I started the podcasting to kind of sort of promote that and to, uh, you know, cause I initially started my main thing when I first started was like, um, like the, the, the kind of our credo, I guess, in a sense of the uh, Liberty movement thing is we were trying to be cultural, not political. So like, and I know that's weird for people who are libertarian or whatever, but basically what meant is like, cause we know there's so many, that's one of the biggest divides when it comes to the libertarian movement is like, uh, are you a paleo? Are you, uh, are you like an agorist like me? Are you uh, just your, are you an LP guy? And even then there's different breakups within the LP. And so like, we were just like, Hey, we just want to hub. We're like, none of that stuff. I mean, you can have those opinions. It's just cool. I mean, whatever, maybe chat them on here or there, but this isn't the place to like, you know, hawk, whatever thing that like that, that side of things. And we were just trying to, so uh, my focus was, I was trying to like talk about like cultural topics and then like maybe like kind of, you know, weave them out of like Liberty type stuff. Um, and after a while, I just, I, I started, uh, I, you know, I, it was just that initially. And then I've, I've, after a while it broke off and I started, cause I wanted to cover other stuff. So I was interested in, um, so then I created the two channels. So I initially had the Liberty movement channel and I had the no way Jose channel. The name of the show was always no way Jose. It's just that I was hosting it on the new Liberty or the Liberty movement channel for a while. Uh, but yeah, the, um, and it just was, uh, not manageable for me to handle all the different, you know, things. Cause, uh, Cause in that one too, I was trying to uplift a uh, content creator. So the whole point of that channel initially was I was getting multiple different content creators. And it was the idea was to like have a different show from a different person drop every day or every few days or so to kind of promote other people's shows, to kind of help people out. Um, and you know, it was good. I made some connections. That was cool. Uh, and kind of got my star. And then just, it, like I said, it wasn't manageable anymore. And then I just kind of broke off in my own show. Cause that's more manageable. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of content creators will go on about how hard it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. It takes up some time, uh, and it depends on what level of production you're going into your show. But for the most part, it's not too hard. Uh, I mean, it's mostly just like you find people you want to talk to, and you talk to them about the things you want to talk to, and then you put it up for people on the thing. I mean, if it's too much work, then I feel like it. People aren't going to like it, you know, because then it comes off as work. I mean, the whole idea is it's supposed mm, to be interesting yeah. or fun conversations. So, 
uh, yeah, and that, like I said, it just kind of was born out of that. It was born out of a project. It was mostly I had more time in my hands. It was funny because when I first, it was one of my buddies, uh, you know, one of the guys I started living with, and he was the one who like kind of really nudged me into to uh, podcasting because he was the one who was like, "Ah, oh, you're you're good at you're good at like talking. You're good at talking about the ideas, theory, et cetera, et cetera." And I was just like, "I don't." I was like, for one, I'm a really I'm really idiot when it comes to tech. So it was kind of a learning curve, even though it's not really like anyone who does podcasting, there's not really that much tech that you really got to master. But it, I mean, it, I'm very tech adverse. I've been a mechanic. Uh, I was like a mechanic in the military and I was work construction as a kid, landscaping. Like I was never like a computer guy. I was always like a hands-on guy. So for me, like getting the computer is just like, ugh, like, I, I don't know. Uh, but so there's that learning curve there. And I also just like the, the public speaking aspect of it. But I mean, I don't know, once I started, you know, doing it and doing it and doing it, it, it just got more natural. Uh, and uh, I guess the, cause the, I don't know, probably the first like 20 to 50 episodes, you got that like stage fright or so, if you will. But then it like slowly goes away. I mean, I feel like to some extent it's always still there, especially if you get like a big guest or something. You're like, oh, sure. I don't want to fuck yeah. up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Even now, even like after doing it for a while, it just slowly goes away. It really is one of the things you got to practice. So, I mean, even if, like, this channel never goes anywhere, I do think there's something that really good, like, really beneficial for me to learn how to like, do public speaking. Uh, even though this is, like, a different type of public speaking, because I've done, like, a live events with Tower Power Hour, and, like, that was different. That, that, that like, that, that initial, like, butterflies came back, like, from the beginning days of podcasting, because it's weird when you have a live audience. So there's different types of public speaking, but, uh, I, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of rambling now, but that, that's kind of where I am at, at this point, you know. That's kind of what brought me into it, and here I am, uh, I, I'm like, I don't really have a, I mean, it is, I guess, kind of mostly Liberty podcast, but like, uh, I, I'm actually now I'm, I'm very ADD and like my interests, like I'll go through periods of time where I'm super into like current events or when I'm super into theory or like, uh, so, and uh, like right now I, I just started an okay, like an Oklahoma city bombing series. And I'm like really into that right now. Uh, I've done multiple ones and it's like really, I'm really going to the rabbit hole there. And I'm thinking maybe I might want to start doing more of that, but I'm sure like, I, I'm not trying to overly label my podcast. It's mostly just the things that interest me is kind of what I'm doing. Cause if I'm not interested in it, I feel like my audience isn't going to be either. So. Very cool. Yeah. I would say that's somewhat similar to me is for me, at least relatively low overhead, minimal technological um, skill required. I'm also very, minimally savvy with the tech stuff, very minimal, uh, just enough to where I can edit the podcast afterward and, and get it onto all the platforms and stuff. But that's because my friend Matt McCarthy just spelled it out for me like a monkey could do it. Uh, I don't even know how to edit. <laughs> yeah, oh, you don't? T- does someone else edit for you? I very rarely edit. The whole idea is like, I hope I get it in one take. So, I mean, I guess there's that like authentic thing of like, Oh, cool. Cause you know, the whole like Joe Rogan thing is like the, like, you know, one take, like there's like anything they mess up, like it stays. Um, I guess, so there is that level of authenticity that I do think is nice, but I also, it's partially just cause I'm just don't want to deal with the editing. Uh, cause I'm, like I said, I'm tech adverse, but I, I have had to do a couple because you know, there's always, especially like right now, me and you are talking over zoom every now and there's internet connectivity issues. Someone drops out, whatever. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can kind of make it work and kind of ramble till they can get back or something. But, uh, I mean, every now and then I've, I've probably less than a handful of times really actually had to like get it edited. And even then I have people that I'm like, Hey, can I ask for a favor? Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and like, yeah, timestamp this, the timestamp that. Can you, can you edit that out? And I'm like, okay, man, I'll send it to you in a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, you build up connections and, you know, 
I always try to like hook up people that help me out. For example, like uh, the person who does the intro on my show is Justin Campbell, uh, AJ at J camp 1521, I think is his Twitter handle. I try to plug him every, every episode cause he made my intro and uh, you know, he's the guy who helps me out with editing. So, you know, I'll try to help out, you know, when I can. So it's kind of, it's very, I feel like the Liberty world, you know, you build up these connections. It's very incestuous, but like in a good way. So uh, yeah. It, not, the, not the bad he, incest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's good. You build these connections and you kind of help lift each other up as you go type thing. So Agreed. A hundred percent. I'm with you. I also have um, Matt McCarthy, like I mentioned, you know, he does everything for me. He has, I've been podcasting really for about 10 years now. Hmm. So, but I never did any of the production stuff until 2019, actually until about about the early 2020 to where I started doing it all one man show. And when I say editing, it's more like afterward, I want this, I want to make sure the volumes for everything is going to be, you know, correct. If someone's mic was down a little bit, most of my episodes are, are in person. So I'll have people local, regional, like combat sports athletes and things here to my studio in person. We'll all sit down. I edit it afterwards. So that's not the, not the fun stuff. You're, you're a Liberty guy for the most part. You mentioned Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard. Mm-hmm. If someone's listening to the episode today and they're like, Kelly's always talking about this libertarian stuff. You know, maybe they identify as a Democrat or as a Republican, or maybe they just don't really give a fuck, but they're somewhat intrigued um, for whatever reason. Anatomy of the State, I think it's only like 60 pages. It's very short. Yeah. I don't even know if it's that. Yeah. yeah, it's brief. I yeah. think it's maybe like 40-something, I forget. But it's mi- a very minimal read. Um, but uh, Murray Rothbard's like kind of the, the man when it comes to anarcho uh, thought and, uh, you know, writings, how would you describe anatomy of the state? And would you say that would be a good starting point for anyone listening who's interested? Actually, tell me, what is it about and who would it be good for? Uh, I mean, what it's about, the, the best way to put it is it's really just a short pamphlet of what the government is and what it does. And, but without any flowery details or changing out words, just and it's like, I feel like, I mean, maybe you can quibble about some things, but if you read the book, you'll see like, I mean, like kind of like, you'll, you know, the, 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 I guess a good way to put it is a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, even people aren't libertarians, you know, libertarians, you know, taxation is theft. And like, it's kind of like that type of thing is essentially, I guess, a good way to kind of put what the book is. It's just not, it's just saying things as they are like war is murder, taxation is theft. Like, you know, all these different things, what they are and not these terms that we give them that allow it to make it these like mainstream thing. Uh, yeah. I, like I said, I did the episode Dave. So if anyone wants to check it out, they can, uh, it, like, I definitely do a full, we do a complete deep dive and break it down there. It's kind of hard to recall it all now, but yeah, it's, that's, I think that's the best way to put it. It's just, it's literally just what the state is, what it does, you know, kind of break, uh, and analyzing the state in that way. Uh, and it, it's really it's it's pretty in my opinion it's kind of just like an objective thing it's it's not like he's making some crazy logical case like he's just stating things as they are and then it, uh now for who is it for whether i'd recommend it i mean i guess in a sense i'd recommend it for anyone who's interested but at the same time i i don't know because like i said i'd been i'd been already going down that rabbit hole for a while i had been listening to dave for probably like a year or two so I was a full blown minarchist when I read it. So like at my, my point at that point, when I read it, I was like, 
I was like, oh, come on. We got to have, there's got to be some rule for government, like, in my head. Like, you got to have, like, I, what, what are we going to do? Not have police? And, like, obviously now if we go down the anarchy wormhole, like, you, I can tell you all different things about, like, uh, you know, like, whether police, like, you know, different places probably handle it differently, whatever. I'm not trying to go down that road. Uh, I do think there probably needs to be some sort of security force. Now, a police, that's, that's a different thing than a security force. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I was like at that point where I was like, you know, in my head, I got kind of the, like, Oh, well, we need soldiers. We need, uh, we need cops. We need, uh, you know, courts, that type of thing. Like the, the basic like things, like we have to have some sort of coercive body that, uh, controls these entities. And, you know, like we have to kind of, kind of the whole 1776 thing, like, you know, the romanticized idea of America, uh, like I was kind of like, well, that, that's what we're supposed to have. Um, and so I, I was there and I just, I wasn't completely ready to be like, no, we don't need a government, uh, or, or that, you know, I mean, I guess I was about to say that government is evil. Even at that point, I did think government was evil. I just thought it was a necessary evil. That's just kind of where I was at. And I think a lot uh, of people, I think a lot of people are there. What you said at the beginning was in anatomy of the state, he breaks down without the flowery language, some very basic things like war is murder. And that sounds really simple, right? Yeah. But but when you talk to, I guess, and I don't even consider myself to be some super informed radical anarchist who knows it, that much at all. But if you, you talk, <laughs> okay, well, so we're both, you know, both minimally informed. But if we talk to someone who's not in these type of circles about war and you say something like, well, they just killed a bunch of innocent people, that's murder. The, the common... Uh, rebuttal to that often is something like, well, it's war. Yeah. And you're like, you know, the, the, the anarchist or the consistent with Murray Rothbard and anatomy of the state response would be, and I've heard Dave Smith articulate it really well. I'm pretty sure those people who got killed, they don't give a fuck what it, <laughs> what you call it. They were innocent yeah. and they were murdered. That counts as murder. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, like, if you're at that spot where you're already in your head, like, this is a necessary evil, I think anatomy of state is probably a good spot to be, like, uh, you know, uh, to kind of dispel you of the necessary part. Now, if you're someone who thinks government is good and, and you know, and necessary, I, and I'm not quite, I'm not entirely sure that uh, Rothbard will really uh, dispel you of that. Uh, I feel like if you're in that spot, you're, you've already got this cognitive bias where you're probably just going to be, uh, it's going to be really hard for you to digest those uh, that that analysis, uh, I, I struggle. I, I, I hesitate to even say argument because, like I said, I don't even really think uh, anatomy state is. There's not even much in there to really argue about, uh, you know, in a sense. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it would for some. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Uh, I guess so. If you're like in that like conservative to like minarchist type spot, I do think maybe that might have some. Uh, there might be some benefit for you there. I, I think so. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's. I guess all they really say on the, on that book, uh, it, it, <laughs> it's hard to recall. I, I mean, and yeah, on the, uh, not being informed, I always try to be very clear because a lot of people give uh podcast, especially once they talk about theory or stuff, they try to give them shit being like, Oh, you guys think you're so smart or this or that. And I'm like, no, I, I mean, I've joked many times and it's almost like in a sense, like an unofficial tagline of the podcast. I'm just a retard who reads books, explains it to other retards. So that's like, <laughs> <laughs> insult yourself, insult yourself yeah. and your listeners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. Um, okay. So I think we're, we're probably in somewhat agreement about the, like the anatomy of the state and how it points out some simple shit that until you really toy with those ideas, you get into it. You're like, okay, you know, the, 
dropping a bomb on some country in the Middle East is not the exact same as me walking outside and shooting someone for no reason. It's different. But in effect, it's murder. One's murder. The other is murder. Often, you know, innocent people, arguably even more innocent. Who knows um, in that Mm -hmm. sense? So once you're to that point, okay, then then we get into a couple different – or a few different, I shouldn't say a couple, I don't want to minimize it, a few different paths you can take to implement uh, uh, how to positively impact our, our country and our, our local communities and, um, you know, to, to try to, you know, sounds corny, but like to make a change. Of course, you have guys, I interviewed Jack Lloyd yesterday. Uh, you, of course, we've all heard Michael Malice say it. They don't vote. They just don't. Okay. Yeah. They're going to articulate their ideas. They're going to write. They're both uh, very creative, and they're going to impact maybe the culture um, through their way, and, and they're going to spread the good word, and it's almost like evangelical to a degree. So it's like their, their presence, them you know, spreading uh, their, their writings or, or whatever it is, uh, helps to promote an anarchist-type view, and the notion that a smaller government is is better and ideally get to the point where there's very minimal, if any government at all, would be ideal, okay? Hmm. So that's one end of the spectrum, right? Um, let me think. So then on the other end of the spectrum would be, hmm, within the liberty world. So one end of the spectrum is you don't vote. You're ideologically very informed. You have your, your, um, your theories all organized and you feel very passionate about it. One, on the other end of the spectrum, and Jose, you correct me if I'm butchering this, would be someone maybe more like, let's say, Tho Bishop. Someone who has the same thoughts, he's read the same books as Jack Lloyd or, or Michael Malice. He's informed, he, 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 he's a fan of anatomy of the state, but he has chosen to positively impact society in the country and his local community through local politics and in large part a lot of times through trying to make the the Republican Party better so it's more Rand Paul's and Thomas Massey's or Mike Lee's those types of guys I know that's all those are all federal uh, people but you know even locally you know governors mayors mm-hmm. uh, things like that so Tho Bishop would be on one end of the spectrum he believes that trying to make the Republican Party better, is realistically, or, you know, Rand Paul, of course, obviously is a good example. He, mm-hmm. he, he's gotten to the, you know, one of the uh, 100 senators in our country, and, and he's trying to implement his version of realistically how to, to move the direction of the country into a liberty-centric uh, way, okay? What do you think of my description there? There's one end of the spectrum, Jack Lloyd, Michael Malice, other end of the spectrum, Tho Bishop. Am I, is that a, a cheap description, or what do you think of it? I mean, I guess in a certain sense, it's kind of cheap. I mean, maybe that's good one way to put it. I know there's so many different people. People call this praxis is what they call it. You know, your idea of like a, what to do, uh, essentially. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's different. Yeah, there's like the agorists, uh, which would be the non-voters. It would be, although not all of them called them So there's all different uh, ones. There's Then you have the people like the LP people. Uh, but I guess if you're going to put them on a spectrum, although it's kind of hard because there's probably people who would advocate from a... Uh, who would you know say they're libertarians and advocate going, moving with the Democrat Party? Although, although I guess in a certain sense you could you could put that in the same way as the foes. Or if you're advocating for political action within some 
given mainstream party. If, if that's the way you're putting it, I guess if you're putting it on a spectrum of political action and non-political action, yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, there's obviously there's so many different ways. There, there's, uh, there's, like I said, the, the non-voters or, you know, people don't advocate for political action. You have the LP guys, you have the, uh, you have the people who, uh, you know, the, the paleos typically is how they describe themselves. They're also, they, a lot of them are like post-libs or practicings, although that's kind of like a hodgepodge of different people that the, the, the new, like, uh, I know you talked to Pete a while, a while back, like he, he considers himself kind of rough in the post-libertarian or practicing, whatever they call themselves these days, uh, movement. And I mean, they they have guys who are basically agorists and they don't, who advocate, who basically don't push for political action, but then you all, they also have people who, uh, advocate for political action. It's just kind of a, if anything, that's more just like a hodgepodge of people who are kind of like, I guess, in a sense, outside the typical, uh, you know, mainstream libertarian thought who are just kind of in an area where they're kind of, I don't know, discussing ideas amongst each other. They're not really a unified theory, I think, in any way. But uh, a lot of people do kind of conflate them with, like, the paleos. And, but most of them, I guess, in a sense, kind of are, so it's a little bit fair. But, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of a rough way to put it, depending on how you mean it specifically. But, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, you have people who, who are not politically involved and you have people who are politically involved is the way to put it. Yeah. How would you describe yourself? Do you vote? I, no, I don't vote. I'm, I'm not politically involved. Uh, although like, uh, I know people who, who, you know, out and out say they don't vote. Like even Pete, like uh, I listened to your show, Pete today. Uh, he, he says he doesn't vote, but he does advocate for a political action in a certain sense. Uh, uh, but he just doesn't vote for himself. Uh, he's not against it whatsoever. I mean, I don't know where he's at. He kind of jumps around, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't vote and I don't advocate for political action. Although like I am, I will say I'm more sympathetic to like the paleo slash localism type. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Hans Hermann Hoppe. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to, uh, you know, you've heard of him or, you know, checked out any of his work, but he, his practice is he advocated for like the thousand Lichtensteins thing. So like an ultra localist type thing. And I do believe he even said somewhere that, you know, kind of more with the conservatives is the way to go. Uh, essentially, you know, taking over a small area like a town and, uh, you know, cr- essentially creating uh, laws within that area that are more advantageous towards, uh, you know, uh, uh, liberty. So kind of things like, uh, you know, you only get a vote if you're uh, if you're a uh, net taxpayer type thing, you know, like if you're like, so if you're like a cop, firefighter, uh, you know, or if you're on welfare, you don't get a vote. And you know what? I think that's 100 percent fair. Like if you're literally taking money from the government, like. And, and, you know, and it's not even a morality judgment. It's just like an incentive problem. It's just a, like, you are literally voting on, uh, you know, making decisions that concern the entity that you get your paycheck from. So it's like, uh, yeah, you're going to be a little biased. Like, so, <laughs> and, and like, you know, laws like, uh, you know, you only can vote maybe like, these are just like, there wasn't like a hard and fast uh, thing. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to recall, uh, you know, exactly. Uh, it was a, what must be done, I think was the name of the essay. Uh, that Hoppe Debris went into that. I don't remember all the details of it, but uh, things like, uh, you know, you, you can only vote if you hold, if you have property or something like that, you know, which, yeah, I mean, I mean hell that they even did that. in like, you know, the early days of uh, this country, which I think that's perfectly fine. The idea that this is direct democracy is fucking silly. Like, uh, you know, direct democracies are ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's like, that's one uh, Hans Herman Hoppe's biggest things. He, uh, he has the book, uh, Democracy, the God That Failed, which is an amazing book. And he just completely slaps down the idea of democracy and just, you know, it's, it's essentially just mob rule and it's just, it, you know, it just devolves your society. Uh, but yeah, so I'm more sympathetic to that. Although I, I think like, 
Uh, I prefer non, like, you know, just not interacting whatsoever. And I mean, and when I say not interacting, not voting, not pushing for, you know, not advocating for people to do that, but I am more, I'm more friendly to the idea of like the paleos, you know, the localists or whatever than I am to like the LP stuff. But then that's not, and that's not at all to like throw shade at them. I love a lot of those guys. Like, uh, like pretty much all the LP, like I'm friends with a lot of the big LPMC guys. Like, uh, you know, like in a certain sense, those are my crowd. And my biggest thing is I just think, you know, this, I, I don't know where this is going. I might like my personal opinion. And I'd like, you know, to bring up the Pete episode again, he was kind of bringing up, you know, the idea that like gatekeeping, I do think that's important. Uh, I mean, I think he maybe overstated it more than I would because I, I understand from a political perspective that like, it's going to be really hard to like purge everyone. Like, how are you going to like maintain, uh, how are you going to keep out the undesirables and membership? But now leadership, that's a different story. Like, uh, they've, like they've already have some people who I, I don't know. I'm like very iffy on, and there's been some things I'm like kind of question along the way. Um, and you know, so I, I just think that kind of opens the door for it to kind of, you know, go to hell over, over time. And like, and don't get me wrong. I think in a certain sense, it's great that they have this, uh, you know, large platform and they do get a boost from the political aspect of it, you know, in, in like the outside world, so far as like, you know, messaging, you know, cause you're like, Oh, this is a political party, you know, it kind of gives them a little bit more credence. But, you know, the people they ousted, I, my personal opinion is my biggest thing is I think over time, especially due to the lack of gatekeeping, but I think it's one of those things that just is naturally going to seep in whether you want to or not due to the corrupting nature of the state. You know, you're literally a political entity, a political party. Uh, I do think it will, you know, seep in over time, especially if you're not gatekeeping. And it will likely just revert to its previous form uh, in one shape or another. You know, I think it'll likely the people that were there will over time likely probably seep out or kind of become that which they hated to begin with. Uh, so yeah, and I'll just kind of revert to what it was before. And I, I just personally, I, I, in a certain sense, I wish they had kind of never done it in the first place. Cause like, you know, once again, like, like uh, Pete said in that episode uh, that you had him on a while back, he was saying that I wish they had said a joke. Like, and I know he was like, uh, you know, the, the idea of not being tied to the word libertarian. Cause a lot of people will make the argument. They'll be like, Oh, well, uh, you know, it's a libertarian party and it has my name in it. So like, I, you know, this gives me all the more reason to want to take it over and make it even better. And for me, I was like, that's um, all the more reason to uh, mock it and uh, deride it and not interact with it whatsoever and let it, you know, just, and make it extremely clear. Even if you want to hold on to the libertarian uh, uh, label, I don't really care. Words are just words. So I don't really care whether you call it libertarian or you call it something else. Um, you know, so like, uh, I, I'd rather you, just, you know, let it die or not even say die. Make it very clear that this is not something that you are make it a mockery. And that way it just kind of slowly fades out. Like I would prefer a, I know everyone goes, Oh, down the duopoly or whatever. I would prefer a duopoly over a triopoly or, or a duopoly in which the LP is one of those two. Uh, I think one of the worst things that could happen to the libertarian movement in my personal opinion is to become one of the main two parties or say they ever got a president. I think that's like the worst possible thing that could probably happen to the Libertarian Party. Because, uh, you know, it's like, not that I think Dave Smith has many chances of winning, but like, if say, let's say, let's say Dave Smith somehow ended up in the, in the White House. I think he'd either get a bullet in the head or, you know, get the Trump treatment where he did absolutely nothing meaningful, uh, you know, or, you know, I, any, I don't think it would be a good, or, or get co-opted. Not that I think Dave would someone who could be co-opted, but maybe he could. He's some with kids. You he's, know. A, he's a human. Uh, he's a human. Yeah. He's a human with things that he loves, you know, a wife, children. Uh, I mean, especially after, you know, I've been covering the OKC thing. 
the feds and anyone who pays attention, even a slice bit, you know, especially within our spheres, the government does abhorrent things and they cover it up uh, all the time. So the idea that they wouldn't, you know, I don't know, send them a, send them a picture of his kid in the mail, you know, of a, you know, taking the park or something like, I don't, that's not outside the realm of possibility of something the deep state would do whatsoever. So, and I'll be completely honest. If I was in that position, I'm not going to be some, uh, like maybe I can make a case that me personally, I would be a martyr, but there's no way in hell I would, I would, I would, I don't know, murder everyone in the world as opposed to seeing a hair get touched on the, on the head of my child. So like, <laughs> like that, I don't know, call me, call me evil for it. I don't care. I just, I guess I think that for me, that's just having your priorities in order personally. So like, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. If there was ever anything that was worried my family and obviously this is being silly. Cause I, he's not going to get, he's not going to get in the white house. That would be insane. Uh, but like my point is not even to say anything about Dave Smith particularly. It's just like, if we ever got a libertarian in the, uh, in the oval office or in any major seat of power uh, or whatever, I don't think it would be a good move for the, uh, for the libertarian movement at all. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, so I, I feel like I reference my wife. I have a Cuban wife. I reference her in every every episode. And if we're being real, it's kind of similar to how you go by Jose, even though your name's Josh. The, the minority thing gives me a little bit of cred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, me, I do gotta say, uh, I, I've seen your family, and me and you are both an exclusive club of dudes who did outside their, uh, who pulled outside their weight class. <laughs> you know. Not literally wait, but you know, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, We're yeah, doing yeah, better yeah. for ourselves. Don't we? Don't ever tell them that though, because yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I know she, I know she won't listen to this episode, so I'll agree. Yeah. Um, but talking to her about you know libertarian ideology, she's of course a big Republican, and she agrees with most. You know, the idea that taxation is bullshit. Like, why should I have to pay all this money to the government? You know, she gets that. That's very clear. And every government building we walk in, you know, has a... We requested a couple months ago to get our garbage cans replaced because the the people who pick up the garbage cans fucking slam them around and their their lids break. And then we call the city of Louisville where we live or we we send an email and then we just haven't heard anything back. It's been like three months. And so, I mean, that's just an example. Obviously, everything the government runs fucking sucks. So, I mean, she gets that. She's from Cuba. You know, it's not a hard sell. Uh, yeah, but, but then it turns into an idea of more along the lines of what you're saying. It's like, okay, well, what's your solution? And it's like, well, if you start describing some anarcho-utopian type scenario to her, she's like, I've heard that shit before. You, you know, you get the communist utopian type thing and, and you know, everything's going to, oh, we're not, it's not going to be with force. You know, some communists really believe far leftist ideology can believe that it you know there's some voluntary uh, voluntary utopian um socialist uh, society that they can have and it won't have oh joseph stalin he got carried away you know that type of stuff so she starts to think that it sounds more like that type of rhetoric so it's an interesting topic to balance between would you agree jose at least culturally republicans are at least a little bit better than democrats I mean, at this current moment in time, absolutely, 100% hands down. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who try to make the case, you know, with like, man, especially like civil rights stuff and stuff like that. But I think that's absolute nonsense. That's just a straw man that gets lambasted against the right. Now, if we were talking like a decade or two ago, I might disagree with you a little bit. But, you know, any, 
But, you know, in this current paradigm, absolutely. Yeah, I know the Democrat Party is insane in that regard. So I, I that's why I am more sympathetic to individuals like us. So because uh, I do think there is uh, there there's more credence to being a because uh, I think it's e- it's probably easier to be able to, you know, especially on a local level to if you kind of, I guess, somewhat co-opt and, and even to some extent speak their language with while not lying at all. Uh, you know, kind of, because I mean, a lot of the stuff we talk about, like, um, you know, the conservatives are very much on board with, you know, the, the, the idea of liberty, the idea of, you know, like, uh, what government's supposed to be, you know, like minimum government. Like if you really like the, you know, like the only difference, you know, between a minarchist and anarchist is like, you know, the minimum amount of government for an anarchist is none. So like, I mean, you can kind of make a lot of those same arguments. So I do think there's more credence of working within that thing and kind of influencing these people that are already kind of primed and coming at it from a place of where you're, uh, I, I don't, you're not this person who's trying to, you know, spoil elections for them or, you know, make threats to them. Like, I don't know, for example, the, the LP has been flirting with the idea or of, uh, well, there's a guy, I guess, in, in Florida right now who's going to, who's already announced he's going to run for governor. I don't believe he's gotten the support of uh, the uh, L- uh, the LPF yet. He is, a, I believe, he's a member of the LPF, and I believe he's also a member of the LPMC Florida one, and he's also a member of the LPMC. Uh, but I don't think he's gone endorsements from any of them yet. But they're kind of flirting with the idea of it. And, I, and for me, like, I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, if there's, uh, I mean, if there's I, I, any I, case of a Republican <laughs> getting it right right now, it's DeSantis. Why fuck with that? Right? Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this man's perfect. Uh, I think he's an absolute tyrant when it comes to like red flag type stuff. And like, it, it, it's weird. It's almost like there's this bell curve of like when it comes to libertarianism where it's like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, no politician's perfect. And like, uh, and then you get to like the mid, the midwits or whatever, or they or, or like, I guess kind of like halfway through your journey where like, it's like, Oh, we can only accept pure, uh, pure, uh, Liberty, uh, people or whatever, anybody else. we got to, we got to, you know, do whatever we can, run people against them, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to like the people who get further down their journey. And this isn't even like, you know, just aggro. This could be, this could even be a lot like this. Some Dave Smith has even said before, you know, that like, you know, like, Hey, uh, no politicians perfect. And the idea that we would take someone who's, you know, done some good things and is doing good things for the state and, you know, kind of moving a lot of things along the right way who, you know, granted is not perfect. And then try to, you know, in some way, you know, go against them. And don't get me wrong, I don't think, I don't at all think an LP candidate of any shape or form is going to actually be a threat to DeSantis. Uh, but like the, the, uh, for one, it's, it's not outside the realm of possibilities. I know a lot of people are very sure of it. I, I'm pretty sure of it. It's like less than 10%. I think the uh, chance that like they could actually do anything, but there's a chance. And in this current political paradigm, things change so much within, you know, even just a few months, it's like, who's not to say in a few months something crazy happens? Like, hell, we just had the Roe v. Wade thing, and, you know, we're in a red state right now. Who's not to say the, I don't know, the I don't know, maybe they try to pass some crazy abortion law in Florida, and then all of a sudden the political opinion goes against DeSantis. It's like things change on, on a dime, especially in this given paradigm. And DeSantis' last election during Gillum was decided by 1%. So it's like, uh, I mean, and I don't think that will be the case in the next election, but I'm also not sure of it. And like in historic, Florida's been for a long time a purple state, you know, a swing state. So it's like it's pretty resoundingly a red state at the moment in time. But that's, that's not to say it. Obviously, it changed from a, a swing state to a red state. It can change back. And like 
there is, you know, no one predicted the lockdowns of 2020. So that was a huge political paradigm. We don't know what can happen, what tomorrow will bring. So like the idea that you would in any way try to, uh, I don't know, like to, I, I mean, my personal opinion is I think it, if I'm going to play the pool game, although I'm not, I, I, I prefer the LP doesn't exist whatsoever. Uh, you know, but like if, if I'm going to play the pool game, I would say to them, I mean, for one, maybe ask for some sort of concession publicly, uh, some sort of political concession and say, you'll drop out or just don't run at all and make it very obvious. Uh, I mean, obviously I guess they can't control who runs cause you could, you, you like, I could go run and they, no one could stop me. I just may not get the endorsements, but so far as endorsements go, um, you know, uh, personally, my opinion is they should say, we're not endorsing anyone. Uh, and you know, like, and this is why, and be like, we understand it's not perfect, but he's been great on X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. blah. So, I mean, that's my personal opinion. I mean, I can go deeper into it, but that's probably like a whole other podcast episode you could do on that. Uh, you know, I have no problem talking like the, the, the idea of how politics work. Uh, that doesn't mean I advocated for it. It doesn't mean I'm going to vote for DeSantis either. It just means that like the idea that you would go piss off a bunch of Republicans, you know, when, you know, they're doing in, in some, some regards doing some good things. I think it's very you know counterproductive to what they're trying to do. So can you tell us where you're located or around where you're located? I'm roughly in the Tampa area in Florida. Okay. Sort of. I'm like, I'm like an hour or so. So well, 45 minutes an hour. Yeah. So if I'm going to repeat kind of what you said is, um, or at least what, the, the one that I'm focusing in on, the, the piece of what you said that I'm focusing in on is there is a libertarian candidate who is flirting with the idea of running against DeSantis for governor. Well, he's already announced his can- candidacy. My point I was getting at is the, the LPF and the LPMC and the Florida, uh, uh, like the Libertarian Party of Florida and the, uh, the Libertarian Party, because, uh, God, there's so many goddamn uh, different things. Because, Obviously, you have the Libertarian Party, the National. You have the, the Libertarian Party of Florida, but then obviously they have their caucuses below them. So then you have the, the LPMC, which is basically a damn near synonymous with the LP at this point. Uh, and then you have in the Florida, you also have the, the LPMC in Florida. Uh, I don't know what the hell they're called. Uh, the Florida Mises Caucus, probably. Uh, and uh, I, my, what I'm more getting at is uh, endorsements because they, they can't control who runs. I mean, uh, and, but this guy is a guy who I believe is like one of the, you know, in a leadership position in the LPF and the LPMC of Florida. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it, yes, technically hasn't got their endorsements, but it seems to be that like, I mean, it would think, I would think, I mean, I mean, personally, I, I feel like that's probably something they've talked about behind closed doors. So I'm the idea that there's no, no sort of like caucus or party, uh, you know, and I'm not saying national is doing anything. I'm more being probably on the Florida level. Uh, they don't have any part in that. I don't know. I, but I mean, it's a matter of whether they endorse him or not. So yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off though. I just wanted to clarify that he is running. He is supposedly running. I mean, he may drop out. I don't know. He, he's been completely lambasted on social media. Uh, it's an absolute joke. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure dude has like 200 followers on Twitter, which I mean, I'm not saying anything wrong with people with 200 followers on Twitter, but if you're running for uh, candidacy, you would think that you're already in a position where you've distinguished yourself as uh, some sort of person. And I'm not saying that, you know, Twitter is real life or that, uh, you know, that, that's synonymous. Like, but you would think that uh, you'd, you'd have some sort of, it, it, there, it's, it's, it's a metric to some extent to be able to tell, like, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, following has he built up? You know, what do people think of him to some extent? And yeah, it, so yeah. Um, 
And I mean, right now I only have like 600. So I'm not even trying to like shit on him in that way. I'm just saying as a political candidate, I'm not running for office. So like, yeah. and it's also my third account. I've been nuking all the time. So, you know, uh, but yeah, it just, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he'll drop out. I, I think, I guess in other sense, there's also the argument. I feel like it kind of makes them look like an embarrassment, honestly, because it, everywhere, everywhere he's talking about online, he, it seems like he's trying to, he's already been kind of like sort of on campaign mode to some extent. And he's, it seems to me at this point in time, he's trying to, he's kind of positioning himself as uh, coming at DeSantis from the right. So, uh, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. It, it, it kind of confounds me, but you know, I, I know he, he's kind of an internal ratio. If you're anyone on Twitter, you know, what ratio is basically it's a good way of telling that people aren't pleased with what he's doing. Anytime he puts out something, Everyone is just ridiculing him and going after him. There's a handful of people who are for him. So, uh, and, and, you know, I don't even deny a lot of his arguments. It's, it's like, you know, hey, he's bad on red flag laws. I'm like, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, no politician is perfect. Like, even Rand Paul, I have things I can, you know, I, I am not a fan of some things he's done or been about. But he's, you know, if if they were to run a political candidate against uh, Rand Paul, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why? Like, why would you in any way try to, like, uh, you know, I mean, sure, maybe use your platform, but to run them in a political sense where you're literally, because, uh, I mean, the political stuff has real ramifications. So it's like to and normal day, everyday people like to you, they see you as a threat. I mean, not much of a threat. Like I said, like the guy obviously doesn't have much of a following. So it's kind of a joke. But I mean, it's still like you're you're trying to say you're you're trying to threaten them. So is what how a lot of people perceive it. So it's an interesting thing. Of course, I live here in Kentucky and last year. Um, no, 2020, um, Mitch McConnell was running for his last term in Senate and I voted for the libertarian candidate, Brad Barron, a guy I've, I've got to know a little bit, interviewed him a couple of times, got to meet him in person, but Mitch McConnell, you know, he's awful. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that he's not good at what he does. He's very bad. He's like a horrible Democrat. There's yeah. no, there's no redeeming qualities about Mitch McConnell. So that's different than, than voting or, or promoting a libertarian candidate to go against Ron DeSantis to continue to be governor of Florida. That's uh, a pretty big fucking deal because his foreign policy is out the window, right? We, yeah. we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. He's awful in foreign policy. Like I think it would be the, uh, the, the only argument, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but the only argument I would even grant these guys, in my personal opinion, again, uh, for why maybe there's some sort of case in a political perspective, you're someone who advocates for political action, why they should maybe run from the only argument I can conceive of is to try to take any sort of wind out of his sails for like a presidential campaign. Because I think he would be essentially the, uh, the equivalent of the, uh, an Obama type thing. Because I do think he would be beloved by the right, I think he would probably win in a landslide if he ran for president. And I think he would be one of the worst presidents of our lifetime, if not the worst president of our lifetime. So, uh, yeah, because I do think if you look at him from a federal level, he's awful. Like, his foreign policy is the worst. He is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of links. I mean, I haven't looked too deeply into this, so maybe I'm wrong. Someone out there can correct me if I'm wrong. But it looks like he's heavily, uh, you know, connected to, like, Zionism type stuff. So I do think he probably has a lot of influence there. And, yeah, he is. He said a lot of things in the past about you know uh, on foreign policy that it makes you go, oh. But luckily, uh, individual states aren't don't really have anything to do with foreign policy. A lot of people will say like, oh, the guard. But it's like okay, but the guard is def- like yes, technically national guard. Like 
Every state's guard is technically, you know, run by the governor, but in effect, they're run by the federal government. So it's completely like, that's a moot point. Like, unless, you know, the, uh, defend the guard guy gets, uh, act guy gets his, all his stuff through, which I don't know if you heard that guy who's been trying to push that legislation for a while. I forget his name, but the guy's been pushing the defend the guard act where they're trying to essentially, uh, get it, the guard back to what it was initially supposed to be, which is where they were like co- controlled by each state one. Essentially, it was supposed to be the idea of a, um, you know, I mean, a militia, not, I mean, not the Second Amendment type militia, but like each state having their own militia. And it's essentially over time basically become de facto just an incorporated, it, you know, basically damn near synonymous with the normal military in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, like if that ever happened, which I mean, I'm very doubtful, maybe here and here and there in some states, you know, they're trying to push it back to that to where like, you know, states could be like, you know, if Biden's wanting to go do something in some foreign country, they could be like, fuck you. No, we're not doing that. This is my thing. If you want my, like, it's got to be something I agree with if you want my people. But that's basically where we're not now, at, not at now. The, the president basically, you know, is, I mean, we're essentially in some sort of state of war at all times and they're using the guard all the time. So de facto, it, it has nothing to do with the governors, basically. I think that's more like the financial side of things when it comes to the governors. But, now if that ever happened, yeah, sure, maybe there's a case to be made that like, you know, now there's a foreign policy aspect of it because the Florida State Guard could be used to do things and he would have say over that. But it's not currently state, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to ramble on, but yeah, that's the only argument I can conceive of, of why you would run against him in a libertarian sense right now. And yes, he's awful in red flags. We all know red flags are one of the worst things in the world. The lockdown was, I mean, I think lockdowns are worse personally. So, you know. Red flag laws could potentially be really bad. Um, yeah. we, we were actually just recently and still are faced with the horseshit lockdown and the COVID, all that stuff. And DeSantis did come through looking like a, a fucking MVP of the country. <clears throat> For specifically that, so he at least has, you know, he's done yeah. some some good things and, and some very recent good things. So difficult to to um, uh, uh, poke a hold of in that. Can you can you tell me what that guy's name is? Who's that? Uh, Hector Roos Roos R O O S, I think. Yeah, so that's his name. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling he's not going to take DeSantis down. But you said earlier that DeSantis won his last election by like one percent. I know people in Florida, and it's uh, it's shocking to someone outside of Florida who is anti-COVID regime um, to know this. But a lot of people in Florida fucking hate DeSantis, which is insane. Um, So who knows? He could lose, right? Yeah. I mean, I do think I saw, I read something today where I guess like something like, uh, I guess currently there's like 200,000 more Republicans than there are, uh, Democrats now in Florida. And that's like, I guess like a new thing because I'm assuming a lot of people have moved here, but yes, there are definitely areas that uh, are very, very left. Uh, and yeah, it is even weird for me. Like I've been in Florida for like a decade. Uh, this is, I kind of end up settling here cause this is where they moved me to when I was in the military. Uh, you know, this is where I'm out with a wife and my kids. So I'm just kind of like, basically I'm kind of tied to the land at this point. Um, but you know, yeah, um, there are portions like in the Tampa area. You know, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty much, uh, pretty red. Like I know when like lockdowns are going hard, like, I don't know, there's probably like a couple of weeks where people wearing mass stuff now. And now it's just like, and even then it like, it, it, it became a joke quickly, even while there still were, you know, individual, you know, cities and counties that had stuff in effect. For the most part, people didn't care. Um, but you know, I have heard, cause I know I, li- I listened to one of the uh, things where they had, uh, I guess some of the Florida guys, 
and a lot of the guys who are leadership, I listen to one of their podcasts and they're talking about it. And it seems to me that there's like a mix of them. I think some of those guys are, for, are from some of the more cosmopolitan areas in Florida and they were describing their experience in lockdowns. And it kind of, I guess it makes sense why they would have this perspective of uh, DeSantis and, you know, not being as good as some other people think uh, and being based on being in those areas with the people who love lockdowns and stuff like that. And I think that's more going to be like in Miami, uh, that, that County, uh, and I, I do think it, that's probably why it was swing states. You know, that's a lot. That's the case in a lot of these states that are that are blue or swing states. Is you know, a lot of the big cities or you know the more cosmopolitan areas are very left. But uh, you know, I mean, the the majority of the land, like if you broke it, if you broke the state down by a uh, as opposed to population, but by like land, like the uh, you know people of whatever political persuasion by the land mass i mean i'm, I'm sure it would probably be something ridiculous like 90 percent. if i had to guess like 90 percent of the of the you know land mass would be like red if you will because i mean it's it's all these you know lefties packed in the small areas so i mean that's a that's a pretty common trope in a lot of places i mean that's that's the folly of like new york cali i mean you know like you look at like northern cali it's like they're that's it's beautiful country it's but then the, the, the cities, you know, control basically the whole place. There's so many damn people there. So, you know, they basically overrule them. So, but yeah. You were in the military for, you say, about 10 years? Can, what, yeah, 11 what, years actually. Okay. What, can you give me any type of a summary of what you did? Or is there anything like that you can say? I was an aircraft mechanic. I, I deployed once. So I owned TDY once. I didn't have like a crazy career. I didn't go around killing people or anything. I was... I just, I worked on things I, and, you know, it kind of worked well from my, uh, you know, upbringing because I worked construction, did a lot of landscaping as a kid. I kind of was always, you know, doing stuff like that. Then kind of became a mechanic when I got older uh, and when I joined the military. So it worked out well there. You know, I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed probably the first half of my enlistment, but then as I started getting more rank and started going up and started getting more bureaucratic and stuff. And that's when it really started like really hating it. Uh, and yeah, and the lockdowns really too, kind of, uh, that's when I was like, I got to get out of here. That's when I was like, you know, a lot of you are like, Hey, you're like, well, you're over halfway to a pension. And I'm like, I don't know if we have another halfway. So, and it's like, I don't like the, I didn't like the idea of being restricted, uh, in a sense, you know, uh, essentially having the thumb, uh, over me of the, the, the government or, of, you know, basically being restricted in that way. Whereas, you know, when you, when you when I start moving away more, like ideally, I'm not even at the ideal position I'd like to be, but I'd like to get to a point in my life where I'm independently, maybe not wealthy, but independently uh, sufficient. And, you know, like, so that way I can kind of do my own thing. Uh, you know, that way I'm not controlled, which is, you know, that kind of ties in where I talk about aggregation too. That's a big part of it. It's like entrepreneurial type stuff. And, uh, like I, and I'm not, I have no, I have no illusions of being some rich person. I just want to be able to, uh, get by without ha- not having to work for any sort of corporation. And, you know, I mean, it's not saying I don't want to work. I just, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I'd prefer to be able to be in a spot where I'm, uh, as economically independent as possible, as possible, if you will. So. Okay. Did you develop your yeah. a- anti-war stances late in your military career? Yeah, maybe like midway. I mean, I was never like a fan of war, but I guess in a certain sense, like, and, and I, I pretty early on got pretty hip to the idea that everything we were doing was, you know, completely incorrect, but I still was of this position of like, well, we got to have a military and like, you know, uh, you know, this, we got to have these people here for when real shit does pop off. But like, and like, I, I guess, and after a while you realize, like, especially once you start really looking at a lot of the passwords and stuff and, 
you know, pretty much damn near every foreign conflict we're ever involved in. It's just like, <laughs> we're usually the instigators or when we do jump in, we make it worse. So it's like, I, I don't, at some point you're like, I don't think I'm helping anything. <laughs> I think I'm only making, I'm literally just leeching off the taxpayer and making things worse. Like, so, uh, like not to say that I had some heavy, heavy involvement. I literally just fixed planes. Uh, but you know, it's still like, I mean, to some extent I was a co- I was a cog in the machine. So it's like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I guess in my head, you saw that idea of like, well, we need to have a, uh, a military. It's one of those, that's probably one of the last things that people lose, especially going from libertarian to, or, or going from anarchist to anarchist, uh, is that I don't even think we need a military. Like, I just don't like, I, I mean, like you, t- like I have, and it's, it's funny now, like it's kind of easy to sort of talk people into it now. Cause you're like, Oh my God, if we had a military, China would come right in and like, okay, you're telling me China is going to go over the ocean, use up all the resources to try to, uh, take over an area that doesn't have a centralized force that they can take over and then claim the land. Like, what, what are you going to do? Take over a patch of land and then have the other giant mass of the United States be like, okay, well, no. Like, it's, it's, it's basically like a- Afghanistan times a million. <laughs> so, like, you, good, good luck with that. Like, I mean, I think any, you know, country would be foolish to try to, like, we're going to go take over the United States if there was no military. It would just be absolutely silly. Like, you know, it's a whole, you know, I don't know if it was true or not. I, I believe I've heard, but it was fake before the whole, you know, the, the why Japan didn't invade, you know, behind every blade of grass is a gun. It's like, yeah, uh, good luck. Like if we didn't have a military, we'd probably have an even, even more armed populace, even though we already have them, probably the most armed populace in the country. So I, the idea of some foreign entity is going to come over here and in any way do anything meaningful, like, sure. Yeah. I guess they could probably bomb a few places, but it'd be like, uh, uh, like, I feel like, yeah, obviously people would die and it'd be tragic, but it, like if you broke it down in an economic sense, they probably did more harm to themselves than it would have done to us at that point. Cause like, it would just be so unmanageable and they'd probably sustain more losses in the accident than, you know, than they would end up killing. So it wouldn't even make sense. I want to uh, make sure that if someone's tuning in and listening and not real familiar with a lot of the, um, the verbiage that, that we use here, when you say minarchist, what you mean by minarchist is someone who probably votes Republican they think of themselves as being kind of libertarian leaning. They acknowledge we need a small government, but we do need a little government is what they think. But most of the time, a Republican who believes in a, a like a constitutional Republican, that type of thing. Is that accurate with your de- definition of a minarchist for the sake of this conversation? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, maybe I might quibble about the Republican part because I do think that's, I think most libertarians are minarchists, uh, you know, but it's just the idea of that they, they think we need a government, but it should be, uh, as restrained to the absolute degree as possible and, you know, only be the most necessary things. But it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the idea of having like a chia pet and being like, well, we're going to keep it, you know, like, Oh, it'll be like this forever. Like, no, <laughs> like the incentives of government is to grow. So like in every incentive of it will be bigger. So back to anatomy of the state. That's what the government does. Yeah. And I know that's like a, we're, we're going back to anatomy of the state. It's like a, this is a big commercial. I know you did that episode, which I got to check out. I didn't know you did an episode with Dave Smith reviewing it, but basically it talks mm-hmm. about a lot of parts that are inherent within a government. It's like you said it earlier, but if you get a job in the government, <clears throat> you're not going to support anything that has to do with like eliminating your position or eliminating your friend's position or anything like that. There's no incentive for anything except for 
to continue to work on growing it and growing the power of that government. So that by that theory, why even have a government? Why even a small little government? Why? What, what do we need it? Why, why a monopoly on anything? Yeah, no, no absolutely. I agree. I, I did want to point out that uh, episode I did with Dave was actually part of a larger series. Uh, I've been covering, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Anarchist Handbook, which was a book that Malice did. Uh, you know, yeah. which is uh, like a collection of different anarchist essays of all different things. I've been doing a series where I've been taking, I guess, uh, someone who I feel like would cover it well, given the whichever one I've been covering every single one. I've gone up to 12 of them now. Uh, so I intend on covering all of them. I've just been kind of slowly poking away at it as I feel, uh, as I feel inspired. But uh, yeah, I've got a lot of good guests on that one. So if you want to check that out, especially if you're interested in the anarchist stuff, because that that uh, the anarchist handbook for what I think it's a great book if you're interested in the anarchist perspective because the anatomy of states actually in that one uh, that's one of the uh, uh, essays that's in the uh, anarchist handbook but there's like basically that that I feel like that uh, book did a really good job of covering all different aspects of anarchy because I mean we're right now talking. Uh, and a lot of you listening, if they're not familiar, we we've been talking about anarchy and stuff, but for the most part, we've been kind of talking about like ANCAP stuff, which is anarcho capitalist, which is like uh, what Rothbard was all about. Like, uh, like I think you said earlier, he was like the father of anarchy type thing. Really, he's the father of anarcho capitalism. Uh, for about the father of anarchy, I don't even know who to the father of anarchy. But there are probably a lot of people who quibble about that. There's been so many different anarchists throughout the years, but like in the uh, anarchist handbook, like it it, it has uh, like people of all different uh, different persuasions. Another good one. Uh, Spooner. So people, I'm sure you've heard of Spooner, Lysander Spooner. Uh, the no trees in the uh, Constitution of No Authority, I believe is what it's called. Uh, but yeah, that one, uh, that one's a great one, especially if you're someone who's like enamored with the Constitution, because the the whole point of that one was to kind of point out, like he essentially takes a legal slash constitutional perspective of the Constitution to be like why it has no authority over you and why it was wrong. And it's also cool too, like especially if you're someone from the South it was written in the perspective of someone in post civil war era. And he was uh, kind of talking about it and like a, from the perspective of why we should have let the South secede. <laughs> and, and on top of all of that, out of the dynamic, he was actually probably one of the most ardent uh, abolitionists of his time. So a lot of people, obviously the knee jerk reaction is like, Oh my God, you're a racist. Or you like slavery. He's like, no, he hated slavery. Like with every ounce of his being, I believe he even advocated to, uh, you know, provide slaves with weapons so they could kill their masters. Like, I, I believe there was even some, because I've read a lot of Spooner's work, so there was a period of time I was really interested in him. I've, I've forgotten more than I remember about him, but I believe there's even a, there's a lot of things that, in, that imply that he may have actually been uh, a party to some extent of some sort of like <laughs> slavery revolution and was trying to help him out behind the scenes of some sort. I may be wrong. Uh, I don't recall the information, but yeah, he was, he was, it's not that he was saying they should be able to secede because he had any sort of love of slavery. He was, he was saying he should be able to secede because, you know, uh, you know, if it, you know, given the way the constitution is written, they should be broken up. And I, I don't think he actually makes the argument in that book too, but I believe he's written in other places or other people have too. There's a lot of the uh, arguments that, uh, slavery would have actually ended sooner and with less bloodshed had they let the cells secede. So, uh, which is counterintuitive most people's thought. But a lot of people don't realize that I believe there are only two countries that needed a, uh, uh, needed a, that had a, uh, had to have like wars essentially to end the institution of slavery. Although it, you know, a lot of people even quibble about really the civil war even ended slavery because it kind of sort of in some extent kind of dragged on after the war. So, but yeah, that's a whole other Pandora's box. But yeah, that, that was Spooner's another one in that. There's a lot of good ones. And then 
you know, a lot of stuff. So like if someone's even interested in, cause a lot of people have questions like, Oh, well, how would you do, how would you handle disputes? Like, you know, uh, property disputes or, you know, uh, or whatever. Like, uh, there's people who make cases for how things can be handled in an anarchist society in that book. So he did a really good job of covering all different angles in the anarchist handbook, uh, all different angles of different schools of uh, anarchist law. And then also like commonly uh, essays that kind of were focused on like commonly, uh, you know, focused on things of like within anarchist thought of like, how would you handle this, you know, in, in an anarchist society? Like how would we handle criminal justice, you know, type stuff. So, um, Michael Malice's book, the anarchist anarchist handbook yep. is on my list. I'm currently finishing up a Thomas Sowell book. And then my wife has me reading this Jordan Peterson book next. And after that, my plan is I just ordered it. The Anar- anarcho, um, what's it called? The Michael Malice book. Uh, the Anarchist Handbook. And uh, like I said, I've already got 12 of them. I've been picking away at them. I believe it's not official yet. So I guess it's kind of maybe a little bit of scoop. I may or may not. I've been in uh, correspondence with Bob Murphy about getting me the Tolstoy one. Wow. There's a Tolstoy chapter in there. So uh, so that would be a good one. Uh, I mean, I've just been in talks with him. It may or may not happen. I don't know. He's been a busy guy. But we've been, you know, off and on emailing for like months now. So we'll see where this goes. We've kind of been playing footsie. It's just he's a super busy guy. So I'm just kind of getting that to fit in, but I, I got a lot of cool guys in there. I got like, I got a Reed or not Reed. I do have uh, Reed Coverdale. I almost said Reed Russell and Clint. Uh, Clint both did chapters. I also got um, Thaddeus Russell did one of them. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, and then Keith Knight you may be familiar with, and and, and others. But yeah, it, it's it's been really good so far. So I I've been trying to do a good job to like for each one tailor the guest to it and uh, taking my time. Yeah, I probably read the Anarchist Handbook more than anybody at this point because. Uh, like I said, I'm a retard who reads books and explain to other retards. So every time I've covered one of these, I've had to read them multiple times over and over again until I get like to sink in and to kind of like absorb the ideas and like, and also be able to like then say, like have a conversation about them that I know others are going to see. So, and even that, it's, I, I still feel like I kind of, I, it's not like I come off like a genius in the episodes whatsoever. It's just that, like I said, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no genius. So that's the amount of effort I have to put into each one of these to do them. So, uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, I mean, you definitely can check those out or I mean, uh, you, your people can check those out. I think there those, those episodes will probably be best accompanied with after reading the book. I don't know. A lot of people are probably going to take the easy way. I'm just like, ah, I'll just watch the podcast instead of reading the essay, <laughs> which I, I mean, I'll take that too, but I think ideally you should read the book. And then I do think, uh, you know, cause a lot of times you read the essays, it doesn't really type sink in. Maybe you don't have further context, especially if you're someone who's like newer to like anarchy type stuff, like maybe not you, but someone else out there, if they're reading that book and they don't like fully grasp it. So it'd be, it'd be good to like maybe re- watch some of those podcasts to kind of like uh, digest more of the context uh, or have, you know, or, or a lot of it explained in a modern stuff. Cause a lot of, a lot of his uh, essays you picked in there were from like hundreds of years ago and stuff. So, uh, you know, sometimes you need someone to help digest it for you. So good stuff. Well, Jose, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Um, before we wrap things up, could you mention, of course, the podcast is, is no way Jose, but could you get all your, your social media plugs and everything in uh, before we wrap the uh, episode up. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've had multiple accounts on Twitter now. Uh, I mean, so this is my third account, I think, and it's at Senor Jose 2020. So if you want to follow me on there, I'm rebuilding. I, I seems to be uh, my first account. I got up to 3,500 in less than a year. And then the second account, I got up to like 3000 in less than a year and they just keep getting nuked. Uh, but now I'm now I got a new one. I'm starting over again. So, if you guys want to follow me there, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, 
Uh, also, I guess, I mean, I didn't used to plug my Facebook, but just like keeping a nuke, it might as well, you know, plug my Facebook. So that way people have an alternative way to contact me if they need to, uh, so, or, or if they want to, cause you know, I'm always open to someone contacting me, you know, uh, you know, like what, whatever, if you have an episode idea or, or whatever, what have you, uh, you know, hit me up. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook as well. Uh, Jose Galison on Facebook, just one L G A L I S O N. Well, I also have a, fa- a Facebook page for the podcast, but. Either or is fine, uh, you know, if you, if you want something. I don't really, I'm not really active on Facebook. I'll drop, like, promos for episodes. That's about it. But, I mean, I'm always, you can always, like, hit me up on Messenger if you can't find me on Facebook or Twitter or if I'm, if I'm banned again or something. I'm, you know, so I pretty much always have that Facebook there. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, so far as plug, yeah, you do the No Way Jose. Uh, I do really want to plug those, that OKC series I got going on because we've been going super deep in that. I've got the uh, guy from the Libertarian Institute who's like got all the OKC stuff that he's been researching this stuff for forever. And there has been a, there's been content in the, in this, these, this series so far we're on a second. We just covered a second part the other day. We're going to do a third part on Tuesday. And I think this will probably end up being a five, maybe even six part series. Cause we're going so deep uh, covering all the different angles, all the different players, everything. And there, there is, we've covered so many stuff that like, uh, I, I've, I've already tried to do a decent amount of research and there's stuff that we've been covering that I had never heard before. And this is all stuff that he has backed up elsewhere. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that, that's what I got. I mean, I, I do think you guys should really check that out. Because I think OKC is one of those ones that, like, I really think uh, is not gone enough uh, attention. I think he's just spread around more. It's a, an important story, I think. Interesting. Well, Jose, once again, I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jose. Thanks, man. You have a good one. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.